Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. It's my great joy to share with you this morning and to, uh, to talk to you about being a nobody. Hey, what a happy topic. This is exciting. Um, the truth is that, you know, everybody wants to be somebody to someone. Nobody really wants to be a nobody. We all want to be seen, known, and loved in some way to make an impression, if not in the world, in our immediate community, or perhaps even an impression just on our own lives to give us some sense of self-value, to leave a mark in some way, to sense that we're more than just a sack of DNA making our way through this strange world, through this strange existence, that we have some kind of significance, which is a, a kind of a hard feat when you consider that there's been depending on how you count it, around about 117 billion people that have ever lived. And on this particular day, there's almost 8 billion people in the world. How can any of us have significance within that amount of people? And it's any wonder that people try to get themselves significant through the strangest possible ways. Case in point, you know, there are 53,000 Guinness World Records. 53,000. Once you get past probably a couple thousand, I think you're starting to get into the realm of some pretty weird records, like the most snails on your face for 10 seconds. Who wants that world record? I don't know, but someone's got it. Most toilet seats broken by the head in one minute. I presume on purpose, not accidentally. Most watermelons chopped on the stomach in one minute. Sounds very dangerous. Don't try it at home. Most rotations hanging from a power drill in one minute. Sounds like any of my DIY jobs. And the longest ear hair. A man from India set the record for the longest hair growing from the center of his ear at 13.2 centimeters. If you know that person, pluck that hair. Social media has given us an outlet for significance and being somebody in ways like never before. We've gone from Andy Warhol's famous claim that in the future everybody will have five minutes of fame to today's version where everybody has five gigabytes of fame. Or perhaps it's better put that everybody has five gigabytes of value, of worth. That's what we think fame offers us. Perhaps some of this is just harmless fun or self-expression, but it speaks to the reality that we desire to be seen, to be known, and to be loved. According to Maslow's famous hierarchy of needs, we first have physiological needs. We have the need for food, water, and shelter. This is what our physiology, our biology needs. But what about our psychology? That comes next. After our physiological needs, we're going to have our psychological needs met. And what are those? Well, the most important ones are safety, the feeling of being safe so that we can thrive, the feeling of love, and the feeling of belonging. Safety, love, and belonging. You know, I think we can put that another way, the feeling of being somebody. Feeling that if I'm somebody, I have the protection of others because I'm seen by others if I'm somebody. I'm not on my own if I'm somebody. Therefore, I have a level of safety. Or because I'm somebody, I have a status, economic or otherwise, which means I have a level of safety in my life. If I'm somebody, I'm probably loved or adored or respected by other people. If I'm somebody, I probably belong to a tribe, to a group. Perhaps I even have greater significance in that group than others. To be a somebody scratches at the foundational itch of our psychology. Now, some claim the route to being a somebody is simply to be yourself. 
Hey, just be yourself. To thine own self be true, Shakespeare said. And the same idea has been exhorted through many a book, most recently and famously through Michelle Obama sharing the same thoughts. But it's come through many books, through many ideologies, through many ways of expression. To thine own self be true. You've just got to be true to yourself. It sounds good, that, doesn't it? Sounds good. Yeah, it's a nice idea. Be true to yourself. But is that really the way to go? Last time I checked, that was actually how we got ourselves into the mess that we were in in the first place. As we're in the garden and God's saying, hey, be true to me. And then the serpent comes along to Adam and Eve. He says, hey, you really need to be true to God. Maybe you could be true to yourself. You really need to listen to him. Maybe you could be true to yourself instead of being true to him. Can we really trust ourselves when the Bible says that our own hearts are above all things deceitful? Others claim the route to being somebody is to be malleable to your environment. Play the game, kids. Play the game. You've got to be in it to win it. Be who you've got to be to find acceptance. Be who you've got to be to become somebody. And then we wonder why we live in a world that is struggling with such identity crisis, where people are so confused about who they are and what this life is. They're so confused that they medicate themselves out of their minds to stop themselves going out of their minds. But what if we've been doing it all wrong? What if the secret to true fulfillment, the secret to true humanity, the secret to being the created people that God created us to be with our designed purpose coursing through our veins, what if the secret is not to try and be somebody, but instead to become nobody. I was in India a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were doing a lot of traveling while we were there. It was a lot. I did 11 flights in eight days. It's more travel than I've ever done in one week in my life. It was intense. Every single morning getting up on an airplane and, and I was, and then every, and quite a few of the evenings coming back the other way on an airplane. And, uh, and it, travel is tiring. And as well, when you're coming from having a baby at home, you're already a, a little bit tired and you're also missing your wife and you're missing your baby and you're doing a lot of ministry and you're just kind of feeling sometimes just a little bit on the edge of your emotions. And I'm not a particularly emotional person, except when Leeds United are playing, that makes me very emotional, my wife will tell you that, but I'm not a particularly emotional person in the main, but I do find that there are times that I need to recognise when my emotions bubble up to the surface, and they don't very often manifest in, in tears, but on this one particular evening, I was flying back from Mumbai, Luis and Kimmy had gone somewhere else, I had been in Mumbai meeting with some people, and I was flying back on my own to, uh, to uh, Hyderabad, where we were staying. And I was sat in the window seat, and I thought, you know what? I'm too tired to like, listen to a podcast or read or anything. I actually quite like to go to sleep. So it's a two-hour flight. I'm just going to put my headphones in. I downloaded a bunch of music that I wanted to catch up with, different artists that have been recommended to me uh, through, uh, through the Spotify algorithm. Let me just stick that on, see if there's anything I like, and hopefully I'll fall asleep. Well, as the music is playing through my ears, I find that I'm not really settling and falling asleep. But instead, one song comes up. And as the song comes on and the, the lyrics start to, to go through my ears, this is not a Christian song. It's not a worship song. It's a secular song written by somebody, as far as I know, who doesn't know or follow Jesus. But as the words come on and they start coursing through my ears, I start realizing, my word, this is an accidental worship song. This song is written about a relationship between a guy and a girl, but actually with just the subtlest little tweak, the reality of it is, is that what's being said here is so profound about where we find our value. If the direction of this song is about God, this is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard in my life. 
And as the words began to go through my ears and I was listening to the song, the chorus line of which ultimately, well, it, it reflects on a few different things in the verses, saying everybody wants to be somebody in a world where the worst thing is to be nobody. How true is that? We're desperate to be somebody. The worst thing is that I'm nobody, that I'm not seen, that I'm not valued, that I'm not loved. But then the chorus in this romantic song, a little bit misguided that it's finding its hope in romance, not that it's bad to have a bit of romance in your life. But if it's your everything, wow, and you're putting your hope in just another thing to make you a somebody, but it's not going to truly fulfill in the way that God has created you to be fulfilled. The chorus line of this song says, who cares if I'm nobody, if I'm somebody to you. And I was thinking about those lyrics and I, and I played the song again and I, and I played it again. And by the third time that I played it, I'll be honest with you, I was weeping, I was weeping on this plane. And the woman next to me, who I tried to spark up a conversation with when I first got on the plane, realized she didn't speak a word of English, is kind of looking at me as I'm weak. I'm not entirely sure what to do. Things about reaching for a tissue, things better of it. Instead, just leans a little bit closer to her husband. And I'm weeping, properly weeping. And do you know why I'm weeping? Because as I'm listening to these words, I'm thinking, wow, how can this song that is not written about God reveal something so profound to me about God that it's convicting me right now that I spend so much of my life not trusting the true somebody and trying to make myself somebody irrespective of his influence in my life. I was brought to a place of deep repentance. And ever since, I haven't been able to shake the story of the sinful woman anointing Jesus' feet, a story I preached on so many times and is dear to my heart and I love, but I just, I kept coming back to it and I've kept reading it and it's what I want us to turn to this morning in Luke chapter seven. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter seven, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus here is with a somebody a man of reputation, a Pharisee, a religious leader in the community, probably a man of wealth, which is why he can throw such a public banquet. He's a somebody in society at this time, Simon, the somebody. Now, there's always a higher place to climb. That's the problem with being somebody. There's always somebody who's more of a somebody than you. But even though there's always a higher rung on the ladder to climb, at least he's firmly on the ladder. He's certainly not at the bottom. The question is, what kind of somebody is he to Jesus? Well, if he's anything like the rest of the Pharisees, he's more of an enemy to Jesus than anything else. At the very least, he's a skeptic. But this is good news for us. You know why this is good news? Because here is Jesus reclining at the dinner table of someone who is presenting as an enemy to Jesus. What does this show us? It shows us that beautifully and mercifully, Jesus is comfortable in the presence of his enemies. Why is that good news for us? Because the Bible says that all of us made ourselves enemies of God. Jesus accepts an invitation to a dinner party with his potential enemy. He reclines customarily, showing that he's comfortable in the presence of his enemies. But now things are about to get a little bit awkward. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. We don't know what she did. Most people would speculate that she's a prostitute, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the way. She could have been uh, caught in some adultery in some way. She could have been the wife of a husband who had a bad reputation for sin and she was guilty by association. 
Whatever it was, she lived a very clearly sinful life. She was known in the community. Now, there's two kinds of nobody in society. There's uh, nobodies who are nobodies because they are unknown. They're just not known. They haven't done anything valuable or of worth to make them elevated in society where somebody would look at them and say, oh, you're a somebody like me. But the other kind of nobody is a nobody who has done things, but they're the things that disqualify them from being somebody. Someone who's done sinful things, things that are unacceptable socially, legally, or otherwise. And they make themselves nobodies through disqualification. Well, here's a lady who is a nobody in society through disqualification of her sinful activity. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, in the ancient world, banqueting parties like this when you had an honored guest were actually open to the public you know they didn't have YouTube or Netflix back then so you've got to entertain yourself somehow so the way that you can do it I guess is an ancient form of goggle box is you come in to the person's banqueting area and you can sit around the banqueting table you shouldn't speak you might be allowed to do a bit of begging or ask for for alms at the end of the uh, at the meal but for while the meal's happening you kind of sit quietly and you you just listen in to the conversation So the fact that this woman has come in, in and of itself, is not an unusual thing. People are allowed to come in and listen to the honoured guests, to the rabbis who are speaking, who are giving insight. It's not a problem that she's come in, it's a problem that who she is. Here's a nobody through disqualification who is now present. But you know what? It's okay. She'll come in, she'll be quiet, she'll sit and she'll keep her place as a nobody. And as long as she knows her status as a nobody, everything will be okay. But there's a problem. As she stood behind Jesus, she stood at his feet weeping. Can you imagine if you invited an honored guest? Think of somebody in your life that you really respect and admire. Now we have a mass celebrity culture. That's another way in which we have a somebody culture. We admire celebrities. We, we elevate them to a state. There's nothing wrong with admiring people's achievements and, and being inspired by people. That's a, that's a healthy thing. But when we start to idolize people and we don't just admire their achievement, we somehow think that in some way they're better people. They're a better breed of humanity in some way. There's something special about them that elevates them beyond anything else, not simply by their achievement, but by their DNA or, or, or by the very fabric of how they've been made. This is a better quality of human being. And it becomes idolization in such an unhealthy, comparatively destructive way. Imagine though you've welcomed one of these people into your home, which is nerve-wracking in and of itself. Will your home measure up to this grand person coming to your house? But you think you've done just about okay in making the space accessible and nice for a somebody. And you think that you've catered uh, adequately for this somebody being in your home, but then the most awful, disreputable person in your community turns up. And they walk through the door of your house and you're like, oh no, this is... It's the last person I wanted to walk through the door. Hopefully they're just popping in to, you know, I don't know, rub the dog on the head and they're going to leave or something like that. I don't know why they're here. I hope they just come in and then they leave again and that'll be that, right? But then they don't. They come and they come up to your honoured guest and they begin to weep while standing over your honoured guest. And you're like, oh no, 
This is not what I wanted to have. This is terrible. And then not only are they weeping on your honored guests, the tears are falling onto the feet of your honored guests. And you're like, oh, no, okay, all right. It's time to now move away. I'm sorry that you're sad, but, you know, having a little dinner party here right now. And then the person doesn't leave, but they begin to wet the feet of the person with the tears and begin to wipe the tears with their own hair, getting right down and putting the hair on the feet and drying the feet and you're like this is literally the most awkward embarrassing moment of my entire life it couldn't get any worse it's getting worse he's kissing the feet he's kissing the feet of the guest why are you kissing the feet of the guest what on earth are you doing and then just when you think it can't get any worse the disreputable person disreputable person pulls out a little jar of liquid and you're like please please if there's a god in heaven don't let it be urine and they open up the jar and you smell it. It's, oh, it's not urine. It smells, like, it smells like perfume, but it's still awkward. And they begin to pour perfume onto the feet of your honored guest. This is what happens. The woman, she's weeping on the feet of Jesus. His feet are getting wet with tears. She begins to wipe them with her hair. By the way, which is not just awkward because she's using her hair, but she would have had to have let her tied hair down to do this. And women in respectable society didn't let their hair down. It was a sign of uh, sexual promiscuity. In fact, it was even in the ancient world grounds for divorce. If a married woman let her hair down in public, it was a, an offense so grievous to the husband that it was uh, grounds upon which the husband could divorce his wife. This is how serious it was, how humiliating and shameful and awkward and embarrassing. And she's wiping with her hair and she's kissing the feet and she's pouring perfume on them. Here is this nobody bringing her awkwardness to the party and ruining everything. Now Simon at this point has seen all that he needs to see. He's a somebody. He's a somebody in society. And he thought even though he was skeptical, even though the rest of his pharisaical friends have made themselves a little bit of enemies towards Jesus, he had an open mind. He's a somebody who's reasonable. He had an open mind. Come Jesus, all right, I'm a bit skeptical. But come and have dinner with me, Jesus. Let me get to know you just a little bit better and see if maybe, just maybe we've misunderstood you and maybe you are a somebody. And then we can give you our time properly and not make you an enemy, but now Simon's seen everything that he needs to see. Well, here's a nobody doing all of these things on this guy. If he was a somebody, he would know not to let this nobody anywhere near him. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, in psychology, this is called rankism. It's the idea of categorizing people based on their perceived value against our own value. But it's really just vanity. And like all vanity, it doesn't confirm our status. It just corrupts our heart and confuses our mind. But Jesus is never confused about our heart or our thoughts. He knows our minds better than we do. He sees our thoughts before we even think them. Jesus answered him. Remember, this man didn't say this out loud. He thought to himself, but Jesus knows what he's thinking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
This is the difference between two months' wages for the average person and almost two years' wages for the average person. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both, unheard of in the ancient world. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, it seems rather begrudgingly, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Maybe Simon is just working in the rabbinical tradition of being careful not to answer with too much certainty. We give him the benefit of the doubt, but he doesn't want to go too headfirst into the answer. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Now what happens next is utterly astonishing. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? See what Jesus says? Do you see this woman? Not not just with your eyes that she's standing here. Do you see her? Do we see the nobodies in our says, Oh, we see the somebodies. We do a great job of elevating them and giving them all the platform and all the status in church. I think we do it just as well as anybody else in our society does. We have a big cultural problem in our church of who we value as the somebodies in our Christian communities. Big problem. We're so influenced by the world, more than I think we realize at times. But it's never been about platforms or gifts or skills or talents or what you can bring to the table. It's always, who are you in light of what Jesus has done? And why did he do that? In light of who we are. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? I mean, that's the desire, right? We want to be seen. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus says, Simon, you're a somebody in society, a well-to-do religious leader, but you have treated me more like a nobody than an honored guest in your home. But this nobody over here, This nobody, this woman who is so low on the ladder of society that you are all embarrassed by her presence here tonight, she has not stopped treating me with honor. You know, Simon, you can have it all and have nothing. And you can have nothing but have it all. See where this humility leads to share in the heart of Christ himself who says, I am gentle and humble of heart, who became a nobody, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus made himself a nobody by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and this is what it leads to. Therefore, verse 47, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know what the ultimate goal of being somebody is in this world? It's peace. We, we want to be somebody so that we can go through this life fulfilled. What is the point of fulfillment? It's peace. What people crave. We want to feel peace. We don't want to be in turmoil. We don't want to be in confusion. We don't want to be in chaos. We want to be in peace. If I can just be a somebody, 
If I could just be seen and known and loved, if I can just be in a place of safety and love and belonging, I will have what human beings crave more than anything else. I will have peace. But the only way to peace is not to make yourself a somebody. It's to know the one who is the ultimate somebody who made himself a nobody for us. And the truth is, I need to repent. The song as I'm sitting on that plane is leading me to a place of repentance because too often I want to be a somebody to everybody except the one who has already shown me who I am through his battered and bloodied body upon the cross. Oh, the truth is when I read this story, I really want to be like this precious woman. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm more like Simon. I'm more like the Pharisee. But this precious woman, she, she weeps at the feet of Jesus in remorse. And I want to be like this, weeping at the feet of Jesus in remorse about my sin, but my tears turn to joy over my salvation. Washing the feet of Jesus as an act of service to my King, kissing the feet of Jesus in worship of my Redeemer, pouring out my life. The alabaster jar was probably where all of her life savings were stored up. There were no banks in the ancient world. She probably had her life savings stored up in an asset, perfume, filled in a jar and what does she do she says my security is not in this my identity is not in this I can't become somebody through owning this so I pour it out on you because you are somebody and I am nobody but in you I think I have the hope of maybe being seen and known and loved and receiving forgiveness that leads to peace pouring out our lives that we may be filled with his to paraphrase the great missionary martyr Jim Elliot to become a nobody who exalts the one true somebody and to do that I have to repent there are times that I've been more interested in the platform than the presence yet the platform often makes me feel alone but the presence of God reminds me I never need to be there are times that I've enjoyed hubris over humility But hubris just hides my insecurity. But humility reveals the one in whom I am truly secure. There are times when I've been greedy rather than gracious. Yet my greed is never satisfied. But in his grace, I am eternally satisfied. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. We weep remorsefully at your feet about our sin. And delight that you turn our tears of sorrow into tears of joy over our salvation. We wash your feet by serving your agenda, not our own. We kiss your feet in allegiance to your love, not betraying ourselves and selling ourselves to any other suitor that would offer us something attractive. And we pour out the security and sufficiency, or better put, the insecurity and insufficiency of our lives. And say, Lord... Instead, will you fill us with your life? Apparently, we need safety, love, and belonging above all else. Well, in Christ, we're not just safe. We are saved. For he so loved the world that he took our place of death so that we could return home from rebellion to belonging evermore. You want safety, love, and belonging? Know that you are saved by the love of God to belong in his family eternally. We can be bold in approaching the king of kings just like the sinful woman was. Doesn't matter if it gets awkward, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. The only thing that matters is will you come to him with all of your weakness, all of your frailty, all of your brokenness. 
where you come to him and realize that he does not greet us with the enmity that we deserve, but with grace upon grace upon grace to become nobodies who are eternally somebody to God. Indeed, Lord, who cares if I'm nobody, if I'm somebody to you? And your cross tells me just who I am in light of just who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the wonder of your cross is magnificent. We've been singing about it this morning. Lord, forgive us for where we've tried to make ourselves somebody by exploiting others, by walking away from you, by being fleshy, sinful, foolish creatures. Lord, we thank you that you poured out your life for us. You became nothing and nobody so that in you we would see who we truly are to be. That whilst this world might see us as nobodies in your kingdom, we are cherished as your children, the ultimate and perfect and good identity. Lord, if we need to repent, prompt us in our hearts where we've craved the platform, where we've craved status, where we've craved only financial security, where greed has got the better of us, where we've hurt other people in a pursuit of trying to become somebody's. Lord, we repent and we say, we're sorry. We come before you and say, no, no more. We're going to pour our lives out, weeping at your feet, kissing your feet, anointing your feet, and allowing you to fill our lives with your true life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a brand new episode there right now.